every year. But while we, while we have this year, I'm so excited. Um, it's, it's just Mariners here in our congregations. And it's so special. I love it. Seriously, I'm so happy um, that we could get to do stuff like this. We actually have a, a leader in here who, um, I think it's, it's her special birthday, Kelsey. Can, can I get you to stand? Please stand up. I see you. Don't hide. Let, let's sing a, a quick happy birthday to Kelsey, all right? Hey to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Kelsey. Happy birthday to you. I love it, I love it. So the first camp I've been to was not a summer camp or a Christian camp. I actually saw an ad on TV for this camp that you're about to see on the screen behind me. This was my first camp, Lakers camp. Being a kid, yeah, we got some Laker fans in here. Being a kid, I remember watching Kobe and Shaq win the championship and thinking, wow, this is amazing. And then right after that, a commercial went on the screen and said, hey, are you a Lakers fan? I'm like, yep. Are you a student? Mm-hmm. Well, do you want to come to Lakers camp? I was like, sign me up. Mom, mom, I, I need to go to this. And so she's like, what is this? I'm like, I don't know. Ten years old, me going to my mom saying, I need to go to this. I knew no details. Um, we lived in Torrance. This was in UC Santa Barbara. So it was like two and a half hours away. My mom was so worried. And she's like, are you sure you want to go? I'm like, please, please, I'll, I'll do anything. Just send me to this, send me to this. So she sent me to this camp. I remember going there. I didn't know a single person. I was just a Laker fan. I, I, was a I just followed their instructions. And so I just showed up. I didn't know a single person. My first time leaving home, and I was so scared. Like, I was 10 years old. And I remember, we didn't have cell phones. I'm dating myself, right? They, uh, my, my mom packed quarters in a little Ziploc bag so I can put it in a phone and call her. And so I would call her, and I remember I was so homesick. Like, I'd be crying. I'd be like, Mom, I miss you. And, and like, all the guys are over there. I'm like, look, oh, crying over here, right? I'm doing this over here. And then I remember thinking, man, I'm counting down until the days where I can finally go home. And so I'm like, okay, four days left. Three days left, man. I, I'm having a great time, but I also, I'm so homesick. Like, this is my first time away. Okay, two days left, one day left. And on the last day, the big star comes, and your parents come and pick you up. And then they get to, you, get to sh you get to play a little scrimmage game to show them, like, how good you are, how, how great you've gone in five days or whatever. And, and um, I was so excited because I'm like, man, who is it going to be? Is it going to be Kobe or is it going to be Shaq? Who's going to come? Is it going to be Kobe or is it going to be Shaq? My, my favorite player is Kobe. So I'm like, please, Kobe, come on. Lord Jesus, if you're real, Kobe Bryant, please. <laughs> on the last day, I remember they brought out, they're like, okay, the big Lakers superstar, here he is. Rick Fox! I, I know, you guys are like, who is Rick Fox? Exactly, okay? He was like the third best player back then, and he came out, my mom, uh, I turned around, and then my mom was right there, and she's like, I paid a lot of money for this, you have to go take a picture with him. So she pushed me over, over the thing, and so I went over, and I, I took a picture with Rick Fox. This is, this is me and him um, on the next slide. That's me right there, 10 years old, and Lakers superstar Rick Fox. I say all this because, yep, that was me. I say all this because, man, it was my first time leaving home, but although this was not the superstar I wanted, I still had a great time. 
And so I'm so glad you're at camp. I'm so glad you've left home to come here. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them the thing you're most excited for at camp? Why don't you go ahead and do that? All right. I remember this, this week I asked a student, this week I asked a student, hey, why are you excited to come to camp? And this student, I love his answer because he didn't say, um, he didn't say the, the right answer. He said the real answer, and that's what we want here. Okay, we don't, we don't want the, the, the right answer. We want what you're really thinking. So I asked the student, hey, um, what are you excited about for camp? And he said, the baddies. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Even though your heart is not in the right place, God can still work. Okay, God can still work. I'm not going to reveal who said that. I'm not going to reveal it. Imagine, imagine going to, <laughs> imagine going to a foreign land, leaving home to go to a foreign land. This is what my grandma did. My grandma, she was born in China, in Shanghai. Uh, then she went to Taiwan. Then she worked in Brazil. And then she came here to America. Um, and this is a picture of my grandma now. Um, yeah, and this is me and my daughter, Eden. And so um, she, she loves kids. And so um, this is my grandma. Man, she came a long way. And she's really tough. And she didn't probably realize, but coming to a new country, if you've never, some of you have traveled internationally, right? We have, we have a lot of people who've done that. But imagine living in a brand new country with what? A different culture, a different language, a different society, a different way of life. Everything is different. And you have to make a really quick decision early on, and you have to try to figure out, how am I going to survive? So grandma, my grandma, she had to think, how am I going to survive in America? And she only went to like first grade or something like that. She is not educated. Coming to America, she had to figure out, okay, what am I going to do here? And there's, a, there's a two main options. The first one is, okay, I'm going to stay with my people, my crew. So that means she goes to Chinatown, Monterey Park, shops at 99 Ranch Market, if you know what that is. Um, uh, she's going to uh, uh, drink boba. I don't know. Like, she just stays in her Asian crew, right? And that's how she's going to survive. Or, on the flip side, do something different. Like, maybe go to Newport Beach, get on a Duffy boat shop at Trader Joe's, eat a sandwich, right? Very different. So how are you going to survive? Like, what is this really going to look like for you? And my grandma, she came as an immigrant, and she was excited. She chose to come here. She, she could have went back to Taiwan, but she said, I want to go to America because there's opportunity here. And an immigrant has a very diff different life, and, and actually easier life than the life of an exile. And this is what we're going to be kind of leaning more into today, in exile. See, an immigrant chooses. They, they want to go to a foreign place. They want to go to somewhere different. But an exile does not choose this. They're forced. They're forced to leave home. They're forced to go somewhere else. And so imagine, imagine being in exile, not going to camp for five days and going back home. And some of you are thinking, man, I don't need to imagine this because I'm forced to be here. Like, I don't even want to be here. Okay, I get it. So maybe you're in exile for the next five days. But imagine this being your life, you being in a different culture, a different land, a different way of life. Imagine that feeling. How would you feel? 
Like, like what are some feelings you would get out of that? If, if you were forced into this brand new place, how, how would you feel? Probably scared, angry, confused, lost, trying to figure out, man, what does this actually look like? Like, what, is it, what does it look like for us? And I have news for you. Um, for those of us who follow Jesus, we are exiles. We are exiles. Can you say that with me? We are exiles. That's what we are. Not literal ones, but see, we're not home, and we long for home. And we're in a place, we're in a land, we're in a culture that's very different. And what our culture tells us is your identity, who you are, you, what's, what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, who, who you should belong with, your way of life. Our culture says you should do this, and God's word says there's a different way. And so we're in a place that is very different. And so the question for us is, how are we going to survive? Are we just going to fit in? Or are we going to stand out? What is it really going to look like for us? And for this week, we're going to be in the book of Daniel. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Daniel. No shame if you need to go to the table of contents, all right? No judgment here. Judgment-free zone. Going to be in the book of Daniel. Guess who wrote the book of Daniel? (laughs) Someone said Jesus right here. (laughs) That's usually right, but it's Daniel. All right, good guess. Daniel. And Daniel, this is an amazing book because it's not just people that we're going to look at. There's specifically teenagers, teenagers who are exiled. And as they're exiled, they're going to grow in their faith and develop something that is very uniquely shaped in their life that could have only happened while they were away from home. And so we're going to start in Daniel 1.1. We're only going to look at two verses in Daniel. And so stay with me, all right? Just two verses. First night, taking it easy on you guys. Daniel 1.1. It says this. I'm reading out of the CSB. This is the Mariner's Way. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. All right, I'm going to pause right here because um, when I was a kid, I remember... Uh, my, my, uh, my mom gave me the third Harry Potter book, and she said, start here. And I, I opened the book, and I was like, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't know who any of these places are. I have no idea what's going on. Maybe you just felt like that right now, opening this up. So let me break it down a little bit, okay? Who are all these people? Who's King Jehoiakim, Judah, Bab- like, what, what is all this, okay? So God's people, his, his chosen people, th- that nation, they're called what? What's their name? Israel, right, Israel. And Israel has how many tribes? Twelve. Twelve, okay. One of the twelve tribes of God's chosen people, Israel, is named Judah, okay? And so, um, do you guys remember some kings in the Bible? Like, give me some of the kings, the, the famous ones. King, king, what? David, Saul, Solomon. Okay, good. And Jesus, he also is the king. He, okay, yeah. Um, so... <laughs> So, so we have some of these kings in the Old Testament, and then the kingdom gets divided. It's like a, a, they fight for power. And so the, the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, get split into 10 and 2. And so the north becomes Israel, the, the 10 up there, and then the south, too, becomes Judah. Okay, and I remember it because it's alphabetical. So I, J, and so north, south, right? And so Israel, Judah. And so Judah, God chose Israel in the first place, the 12, because what? They're, it's not because they're so big and mighty and strong, but because what? They're, they're tiny and they're weak. And so God says, okay, if I choose you and I do something through you, then people are going to know my power, my strength. And so this small nation gets splintered 
the, the two on the bottom, Judah. So this is a tiny nation, okay, tiny nation. And so this king, Jehoiakim, he's there ruling it. But guess what every other nation around Judah is thinking? This nation is so small. This is the time to dominate. This, like, this is going to be easy money for us to go in and, and take over. And so they're at the walls of Jerusalem. And man, we just took a trip with some students to Israel. We were there. We were literally at the walls of Jerusalem. Who, who went to Israel? Can I get some noise? We got a few people in here. Yeah. We go on an Israel trip. And so uh, if you're interested in that and you're a junior later, come with us. Okay, it's going to be awesome. But we were at the, you guys were walking on the walls of Jerusalem. Other nations were looking at those walls thinking, dude, we can easily climb over this, take over this nation, and that's exactly what Babylon did. So King Nebuchadnezzar said, I can, I can definitely get in. He gets in, and what they do is they lay siege to it, which means they took over. They take over. And this is what continues to happen in verse 2, Daniel 1-2. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. So verse 2 begins with Daniel writing, the Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, to King Nebuchadnezzar. Why would the Lord do that? Why would the Lord hand over his people to another nation, to Babylon? Why would God do that? Have you ever thought that? Like maybe something tough happened in your life or something painful and you thought, why would God allow this to happen? Like, what, what actually is going on? The beginning of verse 2, the word here, Lord, um, it, it actually breaks down into um, Adonai. Adonai, what that means is sovereign. What sovereign means is God is in control. God is in control. And so God handing over his, his people of Judah over to Babylon the writer, Daniel, he's reminding us, hey, I know it looks bad. I know it looks like everything is about to fall apart. I know it looks super messy and dark, but God is in control. And maybe Kendrick Lamar said it best, and he said what? If God got us, then we're going to be all right, right? It's going to be all right. Seriously, that, that's what Daniel is saying here. He's saying, hey, it's okay. The Lord, he's in charge. It's going to be okay. He's in control. See, because the, the creator of God, he created everything, including time. And so, and so kind of stay with me. Did, did you guys watch the movie Interstellar? It's this kind of like crazy movie where like they take time out of the, the scene and stuff. And so you're like stepping outside of time. That's what God can do. Because God created time, he can step outside of it. And so Daniel is written in around 6th century BC, okay? A hundred years before Daniel is another prophet by the name of Isaiah. In Isaiah... We're going to look at this. In Isaiah 39, there was writing by Isaiah predicting this exact thing, Judah being conquered by Babylon. In Isaiah 39, it says this, verse 6, look, the days are coming when everything in your palace and all the predecessors have stored up until today will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left. In Daniel, a hundred years before that or more, Isaiah is writing and saying, hey, this is going to happen. What Daniel's saying to us here is the Lord, God, Adonai, the sovereign God, he is in control. He's in control of your life. He's in control of Daniel's life. And that means even though you, you go into places of mess, 
of darkness, of pain, God is in control. He's in control. He has everything. And it even says here, well, all the stuff is going to be carried away. And so um, in Daniel 1-2, it says, the vessels from the house of the God will be taken away, and, and they, will be put, they will put the vessels into the treasury of his God. That's what Nebuchadnezzar will do. So he's going to take this stuff away from Judah and put it into his temple where, where, of his gods. Um, and this is actually a big statement. Some of you guys are like, vessels? And what does that even mean? Like, we don't even say the word vessels. He's talking about like cups and plates and spoons and stuff in, in the temple, in their holy place. They're gonna, he's going to take all that and move. This, what I'm trying to say is this is actually a statement. Babylon is making a statement saying, we won, Judah, you lost, not just politically, but spiritually. You're losers, and I have your stuff to prove it. When, when I played volleyball in um, high school, um, West Torrance High School, anybody go there? Yeah, exactly, that's what I thought. So nobody goes there, but uh, we played uh, guys volleyball. Well, of course, because okay, anyway. Um, so we played all these um, schools that would win state and nationals. And so um, we played Miracosta from Manhattan Beach. We played Redondo, Redondo Beach. Like, these are some of the best schools. And we got destroyed, like, almost every game. But the games that we won in the locker room, my team, I, was, I wasn't really a part of this, but I didn't really say anything either. Uh, and I had to work on that. But uh, my team, what they would do is when we would win, and, and a team would, um, when we would win, they would go and take something from the other team. So they, they take a towel and they put it in our locker. And, and then uh, before the game, we would kind of rally and be like, hey, remember this team? Oh, yeah, we beat them. Yeah, we beat them. Or we take one of their game balls or we take one of their sweaters. One time we stole like, stole, like a ball cart, like for all the ball, like we st- took the whole cart. And then our coach made us like give it back. But, but we would take their stuff. And what, what were we saying? We're saying, hey, um, we beat you guys and we have your stuff to prove it. Like, like, that's who we are. And so that's exactly what is happening here. Babylon is doing that. Nebuchadnezzar is doing that. And he's making a statement of, man, Judah, is your nation, what are you guys even doing? Look at what we have. We have all of your stuff. See, what's happening here is Babylon is rubbing it in the face of Israel saying, you lost, we won. You're in darkness now. You're ours. We have control of you. Don't you know that? And as you look at your life, where are the places where you feel like you're losing? Like you're losing. Maybe a relationship. Or maybe it's sports or academics or something. Where are the places of darkness in your life? What does that look like? Maybe it's your mental health. Maybe it's some of your relationships, some of the family stuff, friend drama you got going on. Maybe you're having really dark thoughts. What are some of the dark places of your life? I just want to let you know, even the mess and the chaos, maybe that's not just around us, but the mess that we even create ourselves, man, God cares for you in that. Not only is he in control, but I want you to remember that God loves you. He loves you. See, one of my favorite bands, um, King's Kaleidoscope, I, I've talked about them before, but it just rings true again here. In their song, You and I Again, this is, this is what they, they write. They say, maybe the mess in me only grips at your heart. I won't hide again, right? Maybe the mess in me, maybe the mess in my own life, maybe when everything's messed up in my life and, and we think, okay, that's when God probably doesn't want me right? Because I messed, I messed all this stuff up, and there's all this crazy stuff happening in my life, and, and I'm losing it, and I'm, and, and I'm backsliding, and I'm doing stuff I shouldn't be doing. Maybe in those moments, God doesn't want me, but the opposite is true, because 
in our mess, maybe that grips at God's heart. Like when my daughter Eden, she's still learning to walk, when she falls down and cries, what do I do as a father? Do I leave her? Do I move away? No, I, I go to her like as fast as I can. Why? Because her pain draws me near. And the same is true about God. It, and, and I'm not even the best dad. We have a perfect God who loves you. And so if you're sitting there thinking, man, I don't know. I made a mess of my life. I'm losing. I'm messing up. God is in control and he loves you. And he's after you. And that's why you're here. See, that's why you're here for this. And when you're in a dark place, when we're in a dark place, and all of us have, have, have moments where, man, we stumble, we fall, we fall into temptation, we fall into sin, we, we, we make a mess of our own lives, what do you need more than anything else in this moment? What you need is hope, hope. Man, I've sat across students, I do this so often at camp and throughout the school year, I sit across students who look at me and say, you know, I don't want to confess this, I don't want to admit it, but... I don't know if there's anything living for anymore. I don't know if there's anything worth living for. And they sit across from me, and they say, I'm sorry, is this, is this weak? Like, is there something wrong with me? And I say, no. And I say, hey, I feel like what you're lacking right now, what you need more than anything else is hope. You need some hope in, in, in life. That, that's what we need. That's, that's what we need to get through things and, and, and see. And so, man, Peter, in the New Testament, he understands this, and he actually says, you're exiles. He's like, I get it. We, we, we're exiles because we're not home yet. We're, we're longing for home, but we're not quite there. We're still in this place where, where things aren't perfect, and, and even those of us who have good homes, it's not perfect, and some of us, man, honestly, home doesn't even feel like home for us. And, and for, for Judah, what's really sad is you might think they're thinking, okay, we're at, Babylon took us over. They're going to capture us and move us into their land. Maybe their hope is in going home. Man, if I just go back home to Judah, then I'm gonna, everything's going to be better. And guess what? Eventually, if you keep reading the Old Testament, they go back. But you know what happens? Another nation doesn't take them out, but a na another nation moves in. So, so what does that look like for them? It, it's their home, but it doesn't feel like home. So their hope, our hope, can't be in a physical home or location. Our hope must be anchored in something more. Peter gets this in 1 Peter 1, 1 through 4, he writes this. He says this in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles dispersed abroad in all these cities that I can barely pronounce. And then in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a what? Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter says here, as exiles, you need hope, a living hope, Jesus. Why, and why, why, did, why is Jesus our living hope? Why is Jesus our hope here? Well, he's our living hope because Jesus came into this world, and immediately, he was in exile. He had no space in, in any home. Where was he born? He was born outside. He was born in a barn. And then right after that, where did he, he have to go? He was forced out, pushed into Egypt. And then he, he lived his whole life, what? With no home. Jesus, our, our Lord that we worship, our King, he was homeless. And he died where? In, inside the city? No, outside the city. Jesus 
He left home for us to save us. He died on the cross outside of the city for us. Why? To bring us back. To bring us back. When Jesus is our hope, heaven is our home. Heaven is our home. Uh, My parents, when I was seven, they split up. And so my mom raised me, single mom, and um, her parents. And so grandpa, grandma. My grandma, you already saw a picture of her. Toughest woman I've ever met in my life. Tough as nails. Um, uneducated, but man, so courageous, right? She came all the way to, to, to here by herself, w- not with her family, just alone as a single woman. She came here and then brought her whole fa- our whole family here. And so my grandma, um, man, she, she was here. And um, the beautiful thing about my grandma when I think back, and there's so much stuff because she, she pretty much raised me, she actually was the first Christian in our family. And so when she was like 18, 19, all, all her family the whole time was Buddhist. She became a Christian, and she shared the gospel with her whole family. And, and that's, how, that's how I know about Jesus, honestly. And my grandma, she's, uh, earlier this year, she was like 95 years old. You, you saw that picture of her with my, my daughter, which is her granddaughter, and I was so happy they had that moment together. But uh, my grandma, her health, was, her health was declining, like a lot. And so like early on, she would have diabetes, which is like you, you're, you can't have sugar. And then I remember thinking like, man, Grandma, you have diabetes? And she'd be like, yeah, but it's okay. I still eat candy. And I'm like, what? And then she'll, she'll like, pull up her, like, um, under her bed. is like, all candy. And I'm like, Grandma, uh, I don't think you should be doing that. She's like, oh, don't worry. You know, it's okay. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. And she would, she would ride her bike all the time to the park, go feed the pigeons and stuff like that. Um, and then eventually, um, her body just got so old that she wasn't able to go to the park anymore. Uh, her, her body would just slowly, her mind, like, um, she had Alzheimer's towards the end, and she couldn't remember stuff, and her, her mind was all foggy. And it's hard to, to have a relationship with someone like that because you look at them, and you're like, no, I, re- I know everything. I, like, I know our relationship, but, but looking at her, I, I can tell, like, not everything is there, but she always remembered me and my wife and my daughter, and she would always say my name, like, in Chinese, like, and then, like, you're here, like, you're here. And I was like, yeah, oh, my gosh, my grandma, she still remembers me, right? Um, then in May, I get a call from my mom saying, hey, Grandma, um, she's not doing so good. She's in the hospital. I actually think this is towards the end. And so can you come in? Can you come in and pray with her? Just, like, comfort her? I, I really think this is, like, the final few days. And so I remember thinking, like, man, I, like, I've done hospital visitations for other people, but not, like, my own family. And so now it's like, it's different, right? It's, it's, it's close to home. And I remember getting there, seeing my grandma lay in, in, the, in the gurney or whatever that is, right? She, she's laying there. And I remember thinking, I, I don't know what to say. And so, man, I'm just going to hold her hand because I just want her to know that I'm here. And so I remember just getting down next to her, just holding her hand and thinking, man, I'm just going to read scripture to her because I don't know how to comfort her. And so I remember just thinking, okay, I'm going to read Psalm 23 because the only Chinese hymn I knew was called Ching Ching Ting. And I memorized the entire Chinese hymn. My, my Chinese is horrible, I, but I memorized the whole song. Ching Ching Ting, Wo Yao Ching Ching Ting, Wo the Mu Ren Zhe Wo Sing, right? And, and so the whole thing is about my, God is my shepherd and, and he knows my name. And so I'm just going to read Psalm 23. And then I sang every word of that hymn, just holding her hand. And I remember praying for her. And and I remember thinking in that moment, God, you have my grandma because her faith, her hope is in you. 
this is not her ultimate location. She, it, it, I actually felt a lot of comfort and peace thinking, man, it's okay. It's okay if she passes because she's going to be able to go home. And then last month, my grandma passed away. I got to go to her viewing, which is just family. And I remember going in, looking at her, thinking, it was really weird. Like, everybody was outside kind of talking. And it, I was, it was just me and my grandma in, in the casket. And I, I've, I've never been in a moment like this. And I remember thinking, she, she's not here. Like, her body's here, but she's not here. She's home. She's home. Because of her hope and her faith in Jesus, a living God, when you put your hope in something that is in, some, that is in something that's not perishable and not passing, man, that is powerful. See, if you don't have hope, then you only have death. But if you have hope, a living hope, you can face anything, including death. Pastor Tim Keller, one of my spiritual heroes, he passed away earlier this year too. And his final few words are this, I'm grateful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. As exiles who long for home, as people who follow Jesus, when Jesus is our hope, Heaven is our home. Let me close this in a word of prayer. God, we thank you that we serve and follow a God who is not dead but alive. God, in our longing for home, it's not going to be satisfied in an apartment building or a mansion or a beachside house. But our longing for home is only going to be satisfied in you. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that there's an uncomfortability in our hearts. And we're in a place that is different, a different culture, a different way of life. God, because in this tension, we're going to grow. And we have opportunities to set our hope in you. So God, be with us. Help us to turn our eyes off of our own mess, off of our own darkness, off of our, ourselves and our circumstance, God. Help us to turn our eyes to you. We need hope here, God. There's people in here, God, your sons and daughters. They need your hope, God, because, God, without hope, there's only death. But God, if we do have hope, hope in you, we can handle anything, including death. And so, God, we thank you. We worship you. We want to sing to you. Let's stand together.